This is episode 48 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Allison Broderick. Our music therapists in general are, are pretty durable people, you know. We didn't get into this field because it was easy. We didn't get into this field because it was, you know, a gentle pathway. <laughs> you know, um, you're here and you're doing this and you're successful. And uh, just because you're trying a new thing in terms of your platform, that doesn't change the fact that you're an like successful music therapist, right? And if things don't work, you know, they don't work. And that's that's okay, because we're all figuring this out together. And so I think we need to be easier on ourselves as, as a whole. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have part one of my conversation with Allison Broderick, and we talk about telehealth, which you know if you read the title of this episode. And I'm really excited to have been able to have this conversation with Allison in light of everything that's going on. So hopefully you've seen her video on Music Therapy Ed already, which will be linked uh, And hopefully this will give you even some more ideas, more insight, intervention ideas, support. Um, She really is just very open about her whole experience with this and full of knowledge and so willing to share that. So her contact information will be available in the show notes for you to check out. In this half of my conversation with Allison, we talk about how she came into being part of the telehealth field way before music therapy in general, uh, before the rest of us were there, I should say, I guess, and um, some specific intervention ideas she uses. And then in part two, which will be available next week, we talk about um, some more technical like technology things and just things to keep in mind, how to tell if sessions are working or not via telehealth, and I guess some more problem-solving type conversation. So definitely tune in for that next week to hear the rest of this. So hopefully you're part of our Facebook group and you already know this, but the poll for the 50th episode is now closed and the winner is... Drumroll, please. A listener feature episode, which I am really excited about. So for the listener feature, uh, basically, it's you, the listener. Send me a, a voice memo if you have like a GarageBand software or something on your computer and you want to make a GarageBand thing and then make it an MP3 and send it to me or however else you feel like getting your audio to me. Um do that. Send it to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com and I'm going to compile those into an episode. 
So more on that at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. But for now, let's get into my conversation or the first half of my conversation with Allison. Allison, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for making the time during this crazy season in our lives. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a little hectic. Yeah, how are you doing with everything? Uh, it's pretty good. I feel like the first couple weeks, it took me a long time to get in the swing of it. And I was like really sluggish and unfocused and not able to make any real progress on any of my projects, most of which had to be canceled. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, but now I'm kind of in the swing of things and able to be a little more productive and everything. What about you? Yeah, about the same. It took me a while to kind of find a rhythm. Um, And I, (laughs) so my partner is a police officer and his schedule just changed. So I try and like do my things when he doesn't need to be asleep. Uh, and I was finally getting a rhythm, and then this week they did their schedule change, so now I'm like, gotta find a oh, new no. rhythm. <laughs> but it's all good, you know. Like we're we're making it work, and he's super supportive about not sleeping when I need to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Great but to it, have a partner like that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky to have him. So, can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself, even outside of music therapy? Yeah. So, uh, like you said, my name is Allison Broderick. Um, I am a board certified music therapist, obviously. Um, so I went to school at Duquesne university, which is in Pittsburgh, PA, um, for my music therapy degree. And then I also have a bachelor's in psychology from the university of Pittsburgh, um, where I got some research experience and did some really awesome things. Um, that I was super excited about. And uh, yeah, and then I did internship with um, kids with autism and intellectual disabilities. And then I pretty much started a private practice right off the bat. Um, (laughs) I I worked at my internship site for a little bit, um, but then the the growth to full-time wasn't there. Um, It wasn't possible. So I was like, I'm gonna start a private practice. And uh, here we are a couple years later and Uh, things are moving. And now I not only have my one, my Pittsburgh-based private practice, which is called Three Rivers Music Therapy, but then um, about a year ago, I got dragged to a party by a friend, and I didn't want to go, and I didn't want to be there, and I was super sour about it the whole time. And uh, then someone had a medical um, incident where they um, passed out. And through that, I was able to meet the guy who is my now business partner, um, wow. Anton, <laughs> because he was a combat medic um, in the military. And so we kind of met up and talked, and he is the vice president of a telemedicine company. And uh, and then the person that his birthday actually was is our other business partner, and he is a marketing genius. So um, if it weren't for Anton and Joey, I w- wouldn't be here today. <laughs> um, they're, they're amazing partners and have helped me through everything. You know, I, I send them em- endless emails and text messages. Um, so huge shout out to them. And um, yeah, so they're the reason why the telemedicine company is what it is. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I got to 
here. <laughs> awesome. That's really yeah. cool. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll get into telemedicine, but I'm curious what your research was. Uh, oh, so yeah. I worked on a study that was um, called PSST, Problem Solving Skills Training. And basically the concept of the study was that we worked, it, it was a study and then it started in pediatric oncology and then they actually um, added a sickle cell, a pediatric sickle cell division, I guess, of the study. And the concept was that kids aren't inherently scared of cancer or sickle cell or all of these really things that we have the background to know to be afraid of or to be anxious. And so if we can actually treat the anxiety and the problem solving skills in the parents of the child, then we can reduce the anxiety of the child. Um, yeah. And it's, so it's pretty cool because how many times have you seen like parents just kind of trying to get there and trying to make it work and our parents that we work with are incredible and do they're they're advocates, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're like all these things all at once. And um, so basically the the purpose of the study was to just give them the skills they need to break down a problem in a really cool way. And um, so basically you have the problem, right, at the top level. And then you come up with three different potential solutions. And then before you even address any of those solutions, you come up with three potential barriers for each of those solutions. And if there are more barriers, that's totally fine. And then you can flip the barrier into the new problem. And so then you can see how can we address these barriers before we even try to tackle the problem. So that way we can kind of get a smooth sailing answer. Um, and so it's, it was really cool. Yeah. yeah. And and it helped out a lot of parents. And, and I believe they got eight or 10 sessions. I don't remember. I would have to look back at my notes. But um, to see the parents grow and, and really like just nailing it every single time by the, the last week and, and really watching their their ability to problem solve and, and think things through. It was yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. That's a great example of a bottom up approach because you're not going to be with the client all the time to help them manage their anxiety but mom and dad hopefully are yeah absolutely yeah so yeah I thought it was something I had never thought about before I got involved with that and uh yeah I'm super thankful for that yeah like opportunity I still use it so I kind of made a transition point in my career about a year ago and I had always wanted to work in mental health and addiction. Um, and I started down that transition, right? So my caseload was split between little guys and working in addiction, um, in addiction recovery, I should say. And uh, I've been using PSST in my groups and uh, not obviously to the full extent, but, um, you know, t- to try to break it down for them. And um, yeah, it's, it's, really helped a lot of people. So I, I love the research that they were doing. Awesome. Is that available somewhere that I can link for people to find? I will work on that for you. <laughs> I mean, I can look it up. Um, yeah, I know there are published research articles on it. So um, yeah, I can cool. I can help you find it. So. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, because that would be an awesome resource for anyone who wants to learn more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So we're in the era of telehealth. Yes. <laughs> but you have certainly. been Yeah, you've been in the era of telehealth for a while, so what originally led you there? Um 
to be honest, I've always thought it was just kind of cool and interesting. And um, I grew up in a more rural area, you know, like some of the kids in my school had to drive 20, 25 minutes at least to go to a grocery store, you know, my best, like one of my good friends and I were 45 minute drive apart, <laughs> like, you know, um, and so I had always kind of been aware that parents had a lot of trouble, like getting their kids to activities or therapies or things like that in my area. And so I think that's kind of what initiated that interest. Um, but then also like, I just feel like feasibility wise and, and accessibility, you know, Pittsburgh is awesome for music therapy. We have so many amazing full-time music therapists here and, uh, it, it really is like a blessing to work in this city. Um, but there's still so many people that can benefit that aren't getting, aren't getting services because of, you know, either not being able to drive or, you know, so actually the very, very first client I did was a, a kiddo that, um, and this was back before Cadence existed, <laughs> but it was, it was a kiddo that was like an hour and a half from me and really, really just wanted a couple sessions to um, work through one specific issue. And I should not say issue, but one specific need. And, uh, he, and we did it and it worked and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what spiked that interest even further, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what was it like? Um, I mean, telehealth, I guess, is still controversial, but it was more controversial three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. So yeah, what was it so like funny. spearheading that and having there be this controversy? So I remember looking at Music Therapy um, Unite, Music Therapists Unite, like five months ago, and there was this big thread about telehealth and how it like just wasn't feasible and uh I like commented like I am doing this like if anyone's interested I'm happy to give you more information and I I got like three emails from it or something you know and now um you know we had like I don't know what the number is up to last time I checked there were 1500 people that watched my music therapy ed video. Um, so I would have to check with Kat on that. Congratulations on the baby to her though. Her little girl is the cutest little thing I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) but yeah, like watching it develop so quickly has been, has been really cool actually, because I've, I've been seeing this work for my, for my clients and, uh, I know how awesome it can be. And yes, it doesn't meet everyone's goals, like we get that, but, but the amount of accessibility it can provide and, and how many people that we can reach when we don't have to drive or require transportation or, you know, we can condense our schedule down and, and see so many more people. And I I don't know, I just think it's, it's really awesome to see so many people experiencing the feasibility of this. And I'm really, I feel like we're in the telehealth revolution right now. Like, (laughs) I really do believe it. And just watching, um, so Anton, my business partner does all of our compliance stuff, which is why I literally couldn't have done this without him. He, he updates me on all the 
all the laws and the rules and, you know, we have a weekly meeting to see like who's passed new legislation. And this past month, it's been daily. There's been daily legislation being passed on telehealth and exceptions. And uh, the PA state waiver program just started accepting telehealth calls, which is amazing because a lot of my clients through that aren't being seen right now. And so we're, we're starting that transition process to get them online. And um, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's it's just a really, really exciting part of the field and to be in it and see it grow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I hesitate to use the word normal, but when things are normal, what percentage of your caseload is telehealth? Uh, I should know the answer to that. Could be very rough. Like 40%. Okay. That's a pretty significant number. Yeah. Well, so, like, it's kind of complicated because Three Rivers Music Therapy and Incadence are two separate companies, right? Mm -hmm. So all of my telehealth patients or clients are through Incadence. And then all of my face-to-face clients are through Three Rivers. So, All right. So Three Rivers is the private practice you founded. What is Incadence? So Incadence is also a private practice I founded. Um, (laughs) Three Rivers Music Therapy is my Pittsburgh-based practice, and I have um, three awesome girls who work for me, um, and we just do face-to-face sessions and contract work um, and in-home therapy in Pittsburgh, in the southwestern PA. Um, We've kind of expanded beyond Pittsburgh, that, that title, you know? And then Incadence is nationwide. So Incadence is strictly a telehealth platform and it's not just a telemedicine or it's not just a therapy provider, but the idea is that we'll kind of Uberize it, if you will, you know, (laughs) so instead of just being a provider ourselves, which is limiting the number of clients and patients we can see, we're really, the goal is to connect the uh, people who are in need of music therapists and contractors together. And then they'll use our system, our platform, our technology. We run all the marketing to find those clients. We make sure that legality-wise we're in compliance with all that. Um, And then we'll essentially just pair. And so as a contractor, instead of having to drive and have instruments and, you know, do the marketing and find the clients, you know, all you... Literally, all you have to do is sit down in front of your computer and show up. (laughs) And so that's kind of the idea with it. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking for you and your team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Especially when we came up with the, you know, the concept at like 3 a.m. after a party. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, yeah, we're doing this. (laughs) Those pivotal moments. We were so excited. (laughs) They come at the the least expected times. So have you... What has your experience with that so far been like? Has it been successful? Have things skyrocketed now that the world is virtual? So actually, no, we've had a really big drop off in referrals, Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. And um, I I think it's because everyone's just in survival mode right now. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to make this work. They're trying to transition. I know like mental health wise, I was really struggling, you know, um, and I, I think people weren't, weren't ready to be proactive yet. They were just, we're all, we're all in the, you know, the same ocean right now, mm-hmm. different boats, but the same ocean. Um, and 
so we're just trying to survive this thing. I've gotten a couple new referrals from like social services agencies that are trying to give their people that are stuck at home now things um, to do. But um, yeah, I think that we'll see more of an uptick in referrals actually after all of this, because, you know, when people transition back to, you know, whatever we call normal, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, I, I think they'll be more willing to accept and integrate um, telehealth and telemedicine appointments into their daily schedule. Um, it was it was really funny. My dad actually called me and was um, he has allergies and he went to see an ear, nose and throat doctor um, and they switched his appointment to telehealth. And uh, he was like going on this tangent about, I don't know how it works and I don't know how this could be effective. <laughs> and he's like, well, I mean, I guess you do it, but, <laughs> and so it's funny to just like, and then he had his appointment and he was like, oh, that was actually very helpful, you know? And, uh, so I think just like the, the conversations and the acceptance that are going to come from this are really Im imperative and integral into our ability to grow as a business and a company. Yeah. Do you find that uh, generationally there's more resistance toward this? Does that make sense? I don't know because a lot of my um, my my age demographic right now is pretty spread. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I would say that in my experience, the people who are more willing to, ha who had been more willing to do telehealth are like more executive roles and people who are used to taking meetings via Skype or on conference calls or things like that, who are used to communicating via technology, um, you know, and then we also see some, um, you know, in, in the, um, Sorry, my brain blinked for a second. But um, in teenagers with autism, um, like, I don't like using the word high functioning, but so you can get an image of what I'm talking about. Um, the computer actually makes them more comfortable because they can be in their space, in their safe space, and it, it allows them to open up more than if they're in some, like, stuffy office or, you know, whatever. So I think... Um, yeah, I, I don't know that it's so much generational as, like, their life experiences Yeah, that, that change that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I feel that. So uh, I will link your Music Therapy Ed webinar because there was tons of awesome information in there. So I don't want to reiterate everything you said, but I'm sure some of the same things will come up. Yeah, absolutely. So, First, what was your biggest learning curve being, because I, I didn't learn telehealth in my undergrad training. Maybe you I didn't did. either. <laughs> yeah. So what was that like? Um, well, my amazing business partners and I uh, spent many hours trying out different software and seeing what we liked and didn't like. And we had this big uh, weekend meeting where we all just shut ourselves into Joey's house and um, had a huge whiteboard and uh, Skyped each other, used different platforms to call each other from different rooms. And um, we like took notes on how much the lag was and what features it was and client ease of use. So I think like 
just like finding that amount of overwhelming information was difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, but then beyond that, just like revamping my interventions and, um, really, uh, I like using the share screen feature a lot, (laughs) you know, and, and learning that it's really possible to still use like paper and, um, and visuals and stuff, even with a share screen. Like, um, for instance, like if you have a a screen big, you can put the visuals for, um, an individual who uses, um, like pictures to communicate. Um, and you can, you can tell based on the camera angle where their finger is pointing without it actually seeing what they hit, you know? And so just learning things like that and, um, realizing that I'm not as limited in interventions as you might think we are. Um, that's, I think that's been my biggest learning curve. I was doing a lot of very, very similar sessions (laughs) when I first started and now I have a lot more variety, I think in my, in my work and it's possible to improvise. It's possible to, you know, you might as a therapist might not be able to respond as quickly because you have to wait for the lag and stuff. But I think that, the client's experience can still be just as, as beneficial. So. Yeah. yeah. Can you break down some more of those interventions and different adaptations you've made? Cause I think those are really practical. Tools. Yeah. So I think like, so the two things I've been using the most lately are like a through Z and bingo boards. So a through Z is just making a list of thing. Like I literally have just like a cute little a through Z list. And then I've used it with coping skills. I've used it with emotion words. I've used it with, um, what else have we used it with? Those are the two big ones, but, um, Oh, like actions, exercise actions, Um, and what we, and we integrate it in different ways. So I, you know, I either use it and then we write a song about all those things, A through Z, or we, um, I've done it where, you know, we're, we're on a timer and you have to try to get A through Z as quickly as possible. And then, um, with emotion words, for instance, we do A through Z as quickly as possible. And, um, this is something I use in my groups. Um, and then we go through and it's scored like categories. So anyone who gets, um, the same answer as someone else, it no longer counts. And then the person with the most tallies gets to pick a song, but they have to pick a song that correlates to one of the emotion words on their list. Hmm. And so, and then we sing that song as a group and then we see, you know, how, how those emotion words, how that emotion word tie in. And then I like to use a negative 10 to positive 10 scale um, of like how um, either like, like how much do you think it exemplifies that word essentially? So if the word is grateful, you know, and the song is, I can't think of a grateful song off the top of my head, The, the endless amounts of songs in my head and I'm drawing a blank, but you know, some people will think it's like a negative seven and other people will, it'll be a positive 10. So it leads to really great conversations about music and perspective and, um, our emotional experiences with music and how music's a powerful tool because not everyone has that same experience and that's okay. And uh, we can all experience the world differently, which transitions to other really great conversations. Um, 
And then the bingo boards, you know, we've, I've been using more with, um, my waiver clients and, uh, my kiddos. And so that's just like a bingo board with songs. And then I have it on my screen and a share screen. And then they have to try to guess at the end, like either what picture lines up or find the picture on the board and point to it. And, uh, and then I have like, um, like stars on the side that are just pictures and I just slide them over. So that way we cross off the bingo board by our, like together, um, on the, on the share screen. Um, yeah. So those are two that I've been using kind of the most lately. I kind of cycle through my favorite intervention of the month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Those are things that, uh, would not have come to my mind at all. So those, yeah, that's very helpful. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully it helps. <laughs> awesome. So uh, not necessarily intervention related, but is there like a piece or two pieces of advice that you'd give to everyone right now who's rapidly transitioning to putting their practice online and um, something you think that could help the most people in the most ways? Um, I would say... I think one piece of advice that I wouldn't normally give, obviously, um, but I would give right now is don't worry about utilizing HIPAA compliant platforms as long as it's been um, that that we're experiencing forgiveness. And I say that because I know with Zoom, they've been slowing down the free accounts and the lower level accounts to make room for their um, enterprise accounts. And so... I think you're going to see a lot more lag if you're trying to use things like Zoom and uh, Doxy.me, um, things that that people want to be HIPAA compliant with. Um, but because we have those exceptions and there are so many people, I think you're going to experience less lag and less timing issues than if you're using, you know, Facebook chat or FaceTime. Uh, I had a session on FaceTime the other day. Um, and obviously, I would never give that <laughs> advice during the normal time. But but right now, I think especially for us, it matters a lot more that we don't that we can try to minimize that lag um, versus, you know, if you're talking to a physician or something and a radiologist is looking at scans like, you know, they can they can repeat themselves and they can work around the lag. Whereas with us, I think it becomes more frustrating more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, I would would say that's one piece of advice. And then the second is just practice first. Um, Get used to playing for someone. Um, Use your headphones so that way you're not getting, like, reverb back through. Um, And and just, you know, do a couple sessions. Um, I'm always here to help people. Um, I keep getting lots of emails and Facebook messages. So if I didn't reply to you, please just send it again. (laughs) It must have gotten lost in the mix. Um, but yeah, just, just simply having someone else on the other end and, and trialing things and seeing what works and, you know, music therapy or music therapists in general are, are pretty durable people. You know, we didn't get into this field because it was easy. We didn't get into this field because it was, you know, a gentle pathway, (laughs) you know, um, you're here and you're doing this and you're successful. And, uh, just because you're trying a new thing, 
in terms of your platform, that doesn't change the fact that you're an like successful music therapist, right? And if things don't work, you know, they don't work. And that's, that's okay, because we're all figuring this out together. And so I think we need to be easier on ourselves as as a whole. And so yeah, I know that was like more like seven pieces of things. But okay, I I didn't want you to feel overwhelmed with as many as you want to give all useful information. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. Every time I tune in to wherever people are talking about telehealth, I learn something new, gain some more insight, and feel more confident in what I am providing uh, virtually right now. So it was really great to have Allison to myself to ask all these questions, and hopefully we hit on some of the questions you had as well. If not, make sure you listen to next week's episode where we go even further into this whole telehealth conversation and if in the future you want the opportunity to ask guest questions you can become a patron over on patreon.com slash music therapy chronicles that link is always in the show notes and for just a dollar a month you can have the opportunity to ask us questions of course if you want to support by giving some more that would be greatly appreciated that helps the podcast be more Um, professionally produced and hopefully in the future when we're not all stuck at home uh, to do some live shows to do some live recordings that would be great but for the 50th episode we are doing a listener feature so that is completely up to you the listener to create so please send me your audio of here are just some ideas an intervention you love a piece of advice um something you've learned recently, research you're doing or have found, a story you want to share, absolutely anything that you want to share with the Music Therapy Chronicles community is appreciated. And if you feel it's appropriate to do so, please consider sharing your name and where you're from in your audio clip. It would be really great for everyone to hear where the other listeners are from. Uh, I can kind of see the statistics when I look at the analytics of the show, but it'd be even more awesome for other listeners to know where you are in the world. And because this episode is so out of my hands, uh, it's a little nerve wracking, honestly. So if you're listening and you're just really excited to hear what everyone else has to say, that's great. But if every person listening to this (laughs) thinks that, then there will be no episode because no one will send me anything. They'll just be waiting to hear what everyone else has to say. So please consider taking the time to send me a voice memo, a recording, what have you, of what you want to share. In episode 50, uh, the recordings will be due by... Sunday, April 26th, so that I have some time to actually compile them and create this 50th episode. So please, please, please send those um, into feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you all have to say. Uh, Join our group on Facebook. As always, find us on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. And tune in next week to hear the rest of my conversation with Allison. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.